You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 54 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Divided Heaven. The L.A.-based indie band Divided Heaven is a two-time sponsor of that one time on tour. Last week, they released a brand new EP entitled Cold War Hangover on Paper and Plastic Records. For more information on Divided Heaven, you can find them on all streaming and social media platforms at Divided Heaven. Now here it is, their new single, The Daughters and the Sons. I can't see me on the street lights all that stands in your way in the haze and the fog all the lines we dare not cross in the face of a Rebellion will outshine the power and the gun. This rebellion will burn bright in our daughters and our sons. This rebellion will burn bright and echo. I tried to. And break this silence And stay with you Till the shadow disappears From the haze and the dark Of the lights when we dare cross In the face of authority Begins to fade at the moment when your heart begins to break. We're not leaving, we're not waiting for the world to change. This rebellion will outshine the power. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now maybe I did I mean to treat you better, but I did. Hey, this is Kevin Martin from Candlebox, and you are listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the van tomorrow, we'll do it, we'll do it all again. Hey guys and girls, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down and have a stellar conversation with somebody in or around the music industry. Thank you for checking out last week's episode with Dr. McDougal from Frenzoram, the amazing Australian band. I love Frenzoram so much. It was great. We charted at number six on Apple Podcasts in Australia. So thank you so much for checking out that episode. We had so many, so many people from all over the world check out the episode, but Australia, it was a hit in Australia. So thank you once again for that. This week, I could not be more excited for my guest this week because it's the second time that I've spoken to him, but you guys did not hear the first time because my computer decided to take a shit on me and corrupt the file. So Kevin Martin from the awesome band Candlebox is back. This is the first conversation you're going to hear, even though it's the second one we've done. But I think this one was much, much better than the first one. So before I get to my conversation with Kevin, I need to do a little bit of business like I always do. Our sponsors this week, there's not a lot of them, but we do have an awesome band at the beginning of the episode, Divided Heaven. They are a two-time sponsor of the podcast. They've got an awesome, awesome EP coming out. Actually, it's out right now on Paper and Plastic Records. It's called Cold War Hangover. So go check out Divided Heaven. Jeff is a great songwriter, the, the main songwriter guy in Divided Heaven. And they're just, I think they're poised to blow up. So check out Divided Heaven. You're really, really going to like them. I also need to tell you about Permanence Tattoo Gallery. It's the only place in East Central Indiana to get tattooed. It's in Anderson, Indiana, right downtown. My buddy Jacob Harrison is the owner and uh, main tattoo dude over there. And he'll hook you up with some good stuff, especially if you tell him that I sent you over there. So if you're in Central Indiana, head over to Anderson, Indiana, and go to Permanence Tattoo Gallery. You can find them on all the social media platforms at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. And Jacob's going to be on the show next week, and he's tattooing me while we have a discussion. So it's going to be really cool. So make sure to tune in for that. If you guys want to help out the show, I know a lot of you guys out there do. There are many, many ways that you can do it. The, The easiest way to do it is just on any 
place that you listen to, the, to this podcast, subscribe, rate, and review, preferably five stars. That goes a long way to help us gain some visibility. And uh, there's a lot of other ways you can get involved as well over at our Patreon. If you guys want to get involved at the $5 level, that's all it is. It's like two cups of coffee a month. You can gain access to exclusive content like like bonus episodes and all kinds of really cool stuff. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. And if you don't want to do that, whatever. If you want to make a one-time donation, there's a donation tab on our website, T-O-T-O-T-podcast.com. And there's also a new tab on there. I, uh, I've had a lot of people send me stuff like just out of the blue. It's kind of weird. Like they'll hit me up on Instagram and ask me for my address. So, uh, if you guys are interested in sending me stuff, send me whatever you want. But also I have an Amazon wish list. There's some crazy expensive stuff on there, like some dream microphones that I want. And then there's like really cheap stuff like popcorn. (laughs) There's all kinds of weird stuff on there. And I'm adding stuff to it all the time. I don't expect anybody to get me anything on the, on the list, but I've had so many people send me like cool gifts that I figured, why not? I'll make an Amazon wish list. So if you're feeling generous, send me some stuff. If not, I don't care. I don't expect to get anything anyway. But uh, so those are the ways that you can help out the podcast. But literally, you're helping out by just listening. So if you could just tell a friend or a family member or whatever, get them interested in this show. We have 53 other episodes you can go back and check out. People, you know, from all kinds of bands. We've got bands like The Offspring and Thursday and Thrice and Taking Back Sunday and Poison. So many different guests from different walks of life and different bands. So head on back and check out some past episodes when you get done with this episode. Also, I've been having a lot of really cool voicemails over at the TOTOT hotline. Uh, if you want to give me a voicemail, you can leave me some love, some hate. You can just tell me a story, whatever you want to do. Maybe it'll end up on the show. That is 765-372-8818. Once again, that is 765-372-8818. Go over there and let me know that you just like the show, whatever. I, I put stuff up all the time from the TOTOT hotline. So I want to hear from you guys. Even if you got like a suggestion for a guest, go on. I want to check it out. Okay, so we have come to the portion of the intro where we do the top five list. And I have a great top five list this week. This comes from a patron, Glenn Shapes Arnett. I think Glenn's actually been on the show before with a top, either either a top five or something else. But uh, Glenn is from Australia. And like I said, he is a patron. If you're a patron, that's another good thing. You get priority for the show. Like if you send me a top five list or whatever, you'll get on the show before other people will. So Glenn's top five is albums that you can play on repeat. And uh, I'm going to start on number five and go up to number one for Glenn's picks. And then I'm going to tell you my picks. So at number five, Glenn has Bracket, Live in a Dive. I got to say that is a wonderful record. Bracket is an amazing band. And uh, that's their the Live in a Dive series on Fat Records. All the Fat Records bands did like a live recording. And the Bracket album is insanely good. So that's an awesome choice, Glenn. Number four, Veruca Salt, American Thighs. I've always been a Veruca Salt fan. I mean, I just think it's cool where they got their name, too, from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But they're a great band, and uh, they kick ass, man. So if you guys haven't heard Veruca Salt, make sure to check it out, especially their album, American Thighs. Number three, Good Riddance for God and Country. 
Now I'm a huge Good Riddance fan. Um, I'm going to say, I mean, I love that record. I think that's their debut record on fat, but I've, there's other records of theirs that I enjoy more than that. I think production wise, there were some, you know, symptoms of a leveling spirit and different albums like that. They just operation Phoenix, I think is probably my favorite, but, uh, forgotten country is a great, great album. And I like the whole play on words for God and country. It's like forgotten country. I like that. But, uh, yeah, coming in at number two, you can't go wrong with this band. Propagandi, Let's Talk More Rock. Such a wonderful record. And, I mean, I know that you, I saw your pictures, Glenn, because you and I are, are friends on, on, on social media. I saw your pictures and you guys talking about going to see Propagandi. I know they just got done in Australia. I was very, very jealous of you getting to see that stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're going to hopefully have Chris Hanna, the singer of Propagandi and, uh, you know, lead guitar guy on the show very, very soon. So tune in for that. But yeah, Propaganda, you can't go wrong. Such a, such a good record. Let's talk more rock. And number one, you have Tool with Anima. That's a wonderful record. I was actually teaching a kid, one of my students, a song on that record the other day on bass because, I mean, the bass lines on the Tool records are amazing. So that's a great choice. And, um, I'll tell you, this is a really weird story, and sometimes I get a little bit too personal on this podcast, but I think, uh, what is the name of that song? 46 and 2, I think is the name of the song. It's one that those kids covered. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but like that that rock and roll school or, or whatever covered it. But that song, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, I don't know how old I was, something back then, I got my first lap dance at a strip club to that song, so... Every time I hear that song, I, I I get some weird weird thoughts in my head. But uh, great choice. That record is amazing. I love me some Tool, man. I tell you, I saw Tool live a few times, though. I was impressed with their live sound, but I was not impressed at how weird Maynard was, man. He just like he hid behind the drums and like didn't face the crowd. I, I know that's cool and it's artsy, but I I wanted him to like get up and everybody's face and just be amazing like he is so maybe i just missed the boat on that but i love the band and uh, that's a great choice so now i'm going to give you my five off the uh, i was going to do off the top of my head but what i did was i prepared i looked at my itunes list for the most played full records on my itunes list over like the last six months so i'm going to give you those in order Coming in at number five, I have Alexis on Fire with their record Crisis. Now, I I love Alexis on Fire. I have an Alexis on Fire tattoo. Hopefully going to get the guys on the show soon. But uh, Crisis was just such a good record. I, I don't, There's not a bad song on the entire... There's not a bad song on any of their records, but there's not a bad song at all on that. I think it's almost like a perfect record. So check out Crisis by Alexis on Fire if you haven't done so already. Number four on my list is Face to Face with Ignorance is Bliss. Um, we had Pete Parada on the show the, that played drums on that album and Face to Face. He's now in The Offspring. And uh, I think the reason that's on there is because I I really started listening to that after I talked to Pete. I, I, I loved the record before, but I got really, really super into it after he was on the show. So that comes in at number four. And if you like Face to Face and you're not that familiar with that record, Ignorance is Bliss is kind of, I mean, you can listen to the episode and Pete will tell you all about it, but it's a little less punky. It's a little more like kind of 
shoegazy and dreamy and indie rockish. It's still heavy and like kind of fast in places, but it's it's a lot different. So check out Face to Face Ignorance's Bliss. Number three on my list, I have Hot Water Music with Caution. I'm a huge Hot Water Music fan. Uh, I love all of their records. But Caution, just the songs on there are just, um, there's something about them, man. And they go together so well. And the production's really good. I just, I can't get enough of that record. And I listen to it all the time. I was actually listening to it today in my car after I got my oil changed. So yeah, Hot Water Music, Caution. Number two, classic in my book, Lucero with Tennessee. It is... uh one of my favorite records of all time. You you can't beat Lucero ever with any record they put out, but Tennessee is is the stuff, man. I mean, if you if you haven't listened to Lucero, you need to do yourself a favor and check it out. And uh Tennessee's a good place to start. So go ahead and do that. Number one, I it's funny, this is it's like Kismet, man. It was meant to be. Glenn is from Australia, and my number one played record on my iTunes list is Neon Ballroom by Silverchair. Yeah, Silverchair is one of my favorite bands. I mention them pretty frequently on the podcast, and I'm hoping that at some point in the future, one of those dudes will be on the show. Uh, it's, uh, it's, looking, it's looking good. I'll let you know that right now, but I'm not really sure. It's tentative right now. But yeah, Silverchair, Neon Ballroom. I mean, all of their records are great, but Neon Ballroom just... They got to a place where, you know, they came out, it was all grungy and angsty, and this is still grungy and angsty, but there's orchestral stuff, and there's this, like, weird jazz piano, and, and, I mean, if you just, if you want to get an idea for Neon Ballroom, just, like, a small taste, listen to the first song, it's called Emotion Sickness, it is probably in my top 10 favorite songs of all time of any band I've ever listened to. So uh, Neon Ballroom by Silverchair, that is my number one. So once again, Alexis on Fire, number five with Crisis, number four, Face to Face, Ignorance is Bliss, number three, Hot Water Music, Caution, number two, Lucero with Tennessee, and number one, Neon Ballroom from the almighty Silverchair. So thank you so much, Glenn, for sending in your top five list. Like I said, if you guys have a top five list, Hit me up on one of the social medias at TOTOT Podcast, or you can email me, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. I'm also always looking for band sponsors, so hit me up if you're interested in some cheap promotion. So that's it, guys. This is a long intro. They're all kind of getting long. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to get into my conversation now with Mr. Kevin Martin from Candlebox. It's a good one. We talked about all kinds of good stuff. And uh, one of my favorite topics, Metallica. They toured with Metallica. We got to talk a lot about it. The one thing that's really cool about Kevin that I didn't really know, and I don't think a lot of other people out there know, he's a huge punk rock fan. He's got a massive collection of, of like vinyl punk stuff. And uh, we, I actually do a top five list with him at the end of the interview, and he gives his top five punk bands. So uh, if you guys are usually here for the punk stuff and you're thinking maybe Candlebox isn't your cup of tea, you need to give Kevin a chance because the dude is legit. He, he is a punk fan, and he's he's got a lot of knowledge about it, and we discuss it on the podcast. So once again, thank you guys so much for the support. I'm going to jump right into it. Here's my conversation with Kevin Martin from Candlebox. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Kevin Martin from Candlebox. How are you doing today, man? I'm alive and well, man. I woke up this morning. It's a good way to start today. So I, at first, I mean, the first thing with this podcast, I have to thank you 
so much for coming back on the show. I switched hard drives and I lost your last episode. I felt like such a dick. So thank you so much for coming back on the show. Not a problem. My pleasure. So um, how are things going with the band? Are you guys doing anything like currently? I know you guys were on tour a while back. We just finished up some dates on the East Coast. Um, we've got about a month off and we head to Europe in June for a couple weeks. Some festivals over there. And then we have um, July, sprinkled some dates in July. And then um, we got the record in August we're supposed to do. And then we have some dates in September. And we've got South America later in the year. Yeah, so it's just... It's a it's a loose uh, it's a loose schedule, which is nice. Have you guys done South America in the past? Yeah, we've done it several times. Well, um, it's a. Do you have a favorite country that you've been to down there? I've done South America quite a few times myself. Santiago, I think, um, is is my favorite. Um, we did Lima. I really liked it, uh, mainly just because of the food. It's such a you know ridiculously oh, yeah. unbelievable food place. But um, yeah, I think Santiago, just because it's it was kind of the first place for us that, um, you know, really we sold out and, you know, had amazing shows and stuff. Um, and the people are, are rabid, you know, the rabid yeah. fans, uh, music fans, which I love. Are you a street meat guy? Like when you're in countries like that, do you try like the stuff on the street? I will, um, based on, you know, relationships I have with people down there, whether or not it's, you know, safe to do you know you I mean you, yeah. there's nothing worse than having something that you really enjoy and then you know it puts you on the toilet for <laughs> the next three weeks but um that happened to me actually in lima um we went to a, a, a met um uh michelin star restaurant um sushi restaurant and um they gave me a glass uh, that had been cleaned with unfiltered water yeah yeah <laughs> that, that, you know the food was fantastic and then i got that glass and it, and it knocked me out for literally for like three weeks well i tell you the last time that i was in lima i just went down there kind of on a trip with a buddy of mine and we we got an airbnb and uh the per the lady that owned the place she was like you can totally drink the tap water but i did not do it <laughs> i was i was worried the whole time man i mean i know that there's some countries down there where it's, it's safe but i mean yeah. I, i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna risk it no, and and it's because it, 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 it there's nothing worse than sitting on a toilet, you know, five six times a day, and all you're doing is squirting liquid out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as far as the street meat, I was gonna say I don't know if you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain or not, but uh, I, oh yeah, uh, I always subscribe to his theory where if you're in a country like you know somewhere in South America or in Southeast Asia or somewhere, you always look for the cart that has the line because you don't you yep. don't stay in business by poisoning your neighbors, you know. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I love his show. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife and I watch it. Watch, you know, watched him every single night. Just really, really unbelievable. Sad. Yeah, very, very sad when, human when, when he passed. Man, he's he's a he's a great guy, and he, he kind of he got me like when I used to tour, and you know, I was always into traveling. But when I started watching him, I'm like, I started getting very more into like the cultures and actually seeing the places that you go to because you know, as being a musician. A lot of the time, you don't have time in the places that you're going. You just play the show. No. You go to the yeah. hotel. And have you yeah. ever, have you ever had like a tour where you actually had some time and you got to check out some stuff? Yeah, when we do when we do Europe, most of the time, um, you know, there's always about one or two days in between. Uh, you know, um, like not this run because we're not doing Spain or anything, but you've got a couple of days where you you can actually spend some time, uh, you know, looking for the restaurants and and um, and 
you meet somebody at a show that says, Hey, I want to take you to this place. You know, that's, that's one of the things I, I really love about touring um, other countries. The stateside thing is kind of like, you know, I, I've, I've been there, done that yeah. at all the places that I, you know, that I, I know about in each city and, and I always got my favorite peachy joint in New York and whatnot. But um, yeah, Europe is, is really the place where I've been able to um, find those great restaurants. And Scotland's got some amazing restaurants and, and, uh, and yeah, when you have one or two days off, it's, get a car, go out and see the castles, you know, have some lunch, um, you know, an hour and a half, two hours north of Scotland or, you know, of Glasgow or something like that. I love that. I love doing that stuff. Were there any countries that you guys got to, or that you're currently going to go to that, like you haven't been to that you thought you would never get to, like maybe some kind of odd country that bands don't really go to very much. Well, we never did Copenhagen. Um, uh, and we're doing it on this run. Um, but yeah, you know, Prague, um i'd love to go to prague um prague's amazing by the way if you haven't been there it's great that's what i've heard and i'm 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 jonesing to go play there um but you know i mean i've been i think everywhere in germany um except copenhagen um which is of course is denmark but you know i mean being that close to it i figured over the years we would have popped up there and played but this time we're doing a big festival so i'm I'm pretty excited about that. I tell you the the coolest thing for me when I was in Prague, my like first two hours in the country out of the airport, there's a place called the Charles Bridge, which kind of takes you into the old part of town. And I was walking down the bridge and there was a string quartet playing Master of Puppets by Metallica. It was it was the That's most rad. insane thing I'd ever seen, man. I love that country so much. Or that it's, city, you know, I guess. That's that's what I've heard. I, I've heard it's just it's so kind of out of the ordinary. Yeah. Um which, you know, maybe it's because it's... It's one of those it old Eastern so Bloc countries. I mean, I've been to yeah. a lot of those old Soviet countries, and they have a feel that is way different than the rest of Europe, especially Western yep. Europe. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's uh, let's go back then. You know, I, I know you've been on the show before. I, I don't really remember a lot of what we talked about, actually, because it was back in March. So uh, I, I want to know, like, how did you get into music? What was the first, maybe your first memory or the first time you thought this is something that's really cool and I want to be a part of this? Well, that would, I mean, that would probably be my older sister. Um, you know, she loved the cars and new wave music when I was, you know, six years old. And, and, um, and uh, I, I just kind of immediately gravitated towards what she was listening to. Um, and it really, it sparked something in me. Uh, you know, my entire family's musical. So I, I think someone in the family was destined to become a musician. I, I, I don't know if it was me mainly because I was the, the youngest, but I, it was always on in our household. My sister played several instruments. My brother Dennis played several instruments. My brother Brian played uh, saxophone, baritone, and uh, tenor and alto. Um, I played French horn, flute, clarinet, start, and then moved into drums when I was 10 years old. So, I mean, it, it was always there. Um, but to to be in a band, I don't think that really kind of started with me until I was around uh, 12 years old. And I went to see my first concert, which was, um, dead Kennedy's and, um, <laughs> black flag in San Antonio. And I had uh, my best friend's older sister and her best friend took us to this concert. Um, cause they were, you know, punk rock girls in high school. And was that um, when Rollins was singing or was that another? Singer? Yeah. Rollins was a singer. Okay. Yeah. Rollins. And, and, you know, I mean, it, I had, that was my first concert, you wow. know, I mean, I'd, I'd listened to punk rock. I loved it. I, you know, clash was my favorite band. Um, I love Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, The Germs, you know, the Texas punk scene um, was was really, really my favorite, The Big Boys and 
um, uh, butthole surface and whatnot. But um, to have that be my first concert, it, it was a it, instantaneous where I was like, I have to do this. Yeah. This is what I, I want. I want to make audiences do what I'm doing right now as a 12 year old kid. And, um, can you still remember that energy? Cause like, I've seen those, vid- like I'm a little bit younger than you, but I've seen those videos of black flag with Rollins or just black flag in general. It just seemed like a powder keg, man. It, like it was just, it was so much energy, you know? It was crazy. I mean, he scared the shit out of me. You yeah. know, I was like, and he was so the conviction and, um, and it's, it was so prolific and profound, you know? Um, and, and now that I think about it, like, he's literally, he's literally, I think maybe eight years older than me, 10 yeah. years older than me. I, I just turned 50. I mean, you know, I was 12, he was 22. If he didn't know that there were 12 year old kids in the audience, I don't know if he'd have played the show, but I mean, <laughs> you know, um, it, 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 it was, yeah, the, I, I can, I can feel that energy right now just talking about it. I mean, wow. it was insanity. I did a stage dive. Um, I hit the ground. I didn't jump up. Um, he saw that jumped out, grabbed me, pulled me up on stage. We sang damage together. And then I jumped off again. Like you sang and I damage told him with him at 12 years with old. Rollins, yeah. That's yeah. insane, man. That's awesome. And I told him that story when I was in Europe, uh, we, we opened for him in 94 and I told him that story. Um, and he's like, Oh my God, you're that kid. And I said, yeah, that was me. You know, and oh, he actually remembered he re- it. That's great. Well, he remembers everything. I think he has yeah. that kind of memory. Like what's her name has where you, you remember dates, like specific times and all sorts of shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can, that, that was for me when I really said, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So did, when you got, you said you, you toured with him over there in Europe, did you guys like become friends or like, how was that tour? I mean, I know we're jumping no, around, but it was weird. I was in, I was in total star struck shock. I mean, I, yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't look at him. And the, the only reason this conversation happened was the last show was in Hamburg and he came into our dressing room and he's like, Hey man, what's your problem? Are you one of these fucking Seattle kids who thinks they're, you know, <laughs> better than everybody. And I was like, I, I can't, you know, you don't understand. Like I'm, I'm standing in front of the person who inspired me to do this. And I told him the story and he's like, wow, fuck, that's crazy. That was you. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that was me, you know? And, and here I am. You're the only reason I'm doing this. Like, this is, this is why I, I love rock and roll music. And, and, um, yeah, so I, 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 we did not become friends, and I don't, I don't think he's, you know, obviously the biggest fan of Candlebox. Yeah. I think it was more so that you know his management knew that we were going to sell some tickets over in Europe, and and uh, you know, um, but it, it really was, and it was an odd mix, you know, Candlebox opening for Rollins Band. Uh, it went over well in some cities, in other cities it didn't. But um, you know, I, I, I've loved Henry Rollins since I was, you know, a little kid, and I will forever, whether he likes me or not, you know. How do you feel like, I mean, now that you are in a, you've been in a successful band for many, many years, you know, you said to me, you just turned 50 years old. I'm sure you've had a number of people over the years kind of tell you the same story you told Henry about you, like you're the reason they play music. Is that kind of a mind fuck to you that, that you've kind of become that status as well in other people's lives? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, and it, you know, as flattering as it is, you still kind of, you know, you look in the mirror some days and you're like, why me? You know, why, why am I the one that's here? You know, is it really just the luck of the draw? Is it really, you know, just a great song or, you know, what it's, it's, it's just shocking sometimes, you know, and I, and I pinch myself and, and thankfully I've never taken it for granted, 
Um, you know, that's, I think maybe why Candlebox is still around. Um, and, and we have survived, um, you know, 27 years now, total touring, um, or, or making music, but it's, um, when you, when you meet those kids that, you know, my mom played this, played you guys for me when I was, you know, in the womb and, and you're my favorite band and, you know, this is my first concert and I'm seven, eight, nine years old. I was just telling my son, we played in, um, in uh, Montclair, New Jersey the other night. Um, or no, it was Boston. It was our show in Boston. And there was a little kid in the front row. And, and uh, you know, I, I asked him his name and how old he was. And he's 11. I said, oh, my son Jasper's 11. I said, do you play Fortnite? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, do you play Roblox? And he said, no. And I said, oh, my God, where's your dad? Because he's doing a great job. Um, but then I said, why, you know, why are you here? And he said, you're my favorite band. And I was like, that's so weird. Yeah. You know, this kid's 11 years old. My son could give two shits about my band. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And this kid made his dad bring him to see us play. And, and you know, that's that's just, it, it's, it's fucking crazy, man. It's, it is a mind fuck to think that you, even now, I'm, I'm somehow reaching somebody who's 11 years old. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to this with my friend the other day. Like, I'm, I'm a huge Metallica fan. I know you guys toured with him. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but the one thing that I was talking to my friend about is that there's so many people that go to that show and like, oh, they played all this new stuff and they played stuff off the load. And I'm like, man, there are people whose first album they ever heard by Metallica is this past album, Hardwired. Yeah. Like, it's a yeah. generational band, and I feel like you guys being around for 27 years are the same way. There are kids just now finding out about you, and this this new record you're going to do, it's probably going to be a lot of people's gateway into your band, you know? Yeah, it's cool. Man, yeah, thanks, man. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's thanks for that. <laughs> you, you have that long. You have that longevity. You're you, you're probably going to have kids and and dads and grandpas. Like everybody's going to be there. You know. Uh, I hope so. I hope so. That's <laughs> that's the game plan. So, um, with singing, was that always something that you were interested in, or did that come in later? Well, I started singing in um, first grade, and I sang all the way through my senior year in high school. But um, I really wanted to be a drummer um, in a band. I never wanted to be the lead singer, even though seeing Henry Rollins and of course, years later when I decided to you know, use that as a band name, a song of theirs. But um, I, I'm still kind of the reluctant lead singer. I would much rather be playing drums. I, I enjoy it. I do sound checks for the band, yeah. for Dave. Um, you know, it's just that's that. 10 minutes a day I get to play what I what I really love doing and and um and it's not that I don't enjoy singing because obviously when I get up there I have a blast with it but you know there's there's a mental um game that I play with myself being the singer in this band is it going to work am I going to be able to do these notes am I going to yeah. be able to go here how long is the show am I you know do I have the breath um do you have any formal training with singing because I mean you've got quite a range I mean did you ever take any kind of lessons or anything no I never did the formal thing I look you know I mean, I had a great choir teacher from, you know, first grade to, to my senior or from, uh, I'm sorry, 10th grade to my senior year. Um, but that wasn't formal. Um, I had a vocal hemorrhage in 98. Um, and then I had to go see Seth Riggs, um, for some breathing techniques. But I think for me, um, it's just an understanding of, of how my voice works and where I can go with it. Um, and you know, Breath is, you know, air in, in the lungs and pressure on the diaphragm is, you know, is the savior of, of all rock singers. Um, and I learned how to do that really, really young. Um, even like now, you know, sitting here talking on the phone, my diaphragm's tight, 
my stomach, you know, my stomach is, I'm a, I'm a stomach breather. I'm not a lung breather, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's just become second nature to me. Um, how this all works. Do you guys, uh, down tune at all? Like I know Metallica back in the day, they would do like standard, but then they started doing like E flat tuning. I think that maybe would help the sweet spot of James's voice. Have you guys ever tried to do that kind of thing? No, we don't do, we don't do, um, down tune. We do standard, um, you know, cause my voice is, is stronger now than it was when I started in the band. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, and I, and I feel I'm way more comfortable there. Um, we have a couple songs that are like drop C, which is, um, kiss before and, and some other songs, but, um, there's still, you know, we still are playing the same A chord in that baritone guitar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky, man. And, you know, like, I don't know how much longer I have uh, this voice for, Yeah. Uh, you know, watching Def Leppard the other night on um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was just like, you know, I, I've always loved Joe Elliott. And, he seems like he's I, lost I, a step. I mean, I, I, sure. I, I watched it as well, but it was still pretty good. But I can't imagine what that's doing to him, you know, in, oh, yeah. in his mind, you yeah. know, thinking, God, I, I could hit all this stuff and now I've got to do this and I've got to do this movement and I've got to think about that and I've got to change this melody. You know, I just don't want to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, take me through, you know, were you in a lot of bands like before Candlebox, or like, like how did you, you get to that point where you guys got together and started, started jamming? No, I was playing drums in a band called, um, Dolly's opera, which was like, a kind of an art, core band okay i guess you could call it um i mean you know even though grunge was going on in seattle at the time it was like this guy that i was playing drums for wanted to be like the next roxy music um which was really cool um and then um this friend of mine rick vaughn who was a producer at a studio that um we had recorded in said hey man i heard you singing these backups in this dolly's opera stuff you know would you be interested in doing some singing some demos for me and i was like no, no I'm, I'm a drummer he's like well yeah, but come sing on. Let's see what happens. And um, so I did. And and then um, we, the drummer who was playing for us at the time, is this kid named Scott Mercado, who ended up becoming the Candlebox drummer. And and um, we started this band called Uncle Duke. And I was singing, and I was still playing drums in um, Dolly's Opera. Um, and then two years later, we were signed. Wow. Um, different guitar player, different bass player, but yeah. And then and then all of a sudden, it was Candlebox. So I, I would say from nineteen eighty eight to 1991 was really the years that I was playing in bands in Seattle. You know, where did the name Candlebox come from? If you don't mind me asking, it's from Midnight Oil lyric. Um, I've always been kind of a huge fan of Peter Garrett's and I love the band and I like what he stands for. Um, his uh, position on the aboriginals of Australia, um, and his constant fight for their rights. Um, and uh, he's got a, a lyric in a song called Tin Lakes and Tin Mines where he's talking about this, you know, these beautiful people that you can't box in like candles. You can't put them on these reservations. They're so much bigger and brighter than that. And, and I really love the image of, of what he was saying of trying to box something up that just couldn't be held. And so I was like, well, it's candle box and it kind of stuck. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So you said two years, you know, after you guys started jamming, you were signed. Uh, you signed to Maverick, which is Madonna's label, or I, I mean, it's her old label. It's not really around much anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was the what was the the way that you guys were heard by them? How did that come about? We had been invited to play in Los Angeles. We did a showcase in Seattle for BMI. Um, 
which is one of the music um the royalty you know, royalty them, companies or whatever right? what do you call them anymore yeah exactly <laughs> um rights protectors or something um yeah but yeah, we had been invited to play a showcase there, and SBK EMI saw us um, and invited us down to LA to play a show at the Club Lingerie. Uh, Fred Davis was the president of the company at the time, and he didn't show up, but Guy O'Series' attorney um, said, listen, this band from Seattle is down here, and EMI and Sony are looking at him. You might want to go see him. So he caught our show at Club Lingerie and um, called Freddie from the show and said, listen, I think we should sign this band right now. Uh, and they had also flown down Green Apple Quickstep, which was, they were all friends of ours from Seattle. So we were kind of in a, in an awkward place at that point. You guys were like friends, but you were both vying for a record contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was, and it really, we said to them, you know, like you, you've really put us in a, an awkward position here. Cause they showed up at the hotel we were staying at, which is where they had put Green Apple Quickstep up at. So it, it was, yeah, it was really, we didn't, those guys didn't talk to us for some time. They were pretty pissed <laughs> off at us. So speaking of friends and bands from Seattle, I know like, you know, the, the, the big grunge bands from Seattle, I think they're a little bit older than you guys were, but did you have a lot of connections with any of those bands? The only connection I had with any of those guys was I worked at um, this shoe store called Fluvog with Susan Silver, uh, who was the manager of Alice, Soundgarden, um, Screaming Trees, Grunt Truck, um, Blood Circus, a bunch of the bands from the city. Um, and, uh, Malfunction as well, as well, which was Andy's first band with Regan Hagar. Um, and, um, so I, I helped her in the shoe store and she would have all the flyers made for them. Uh, and, and they would come in and grab the flyers and that's how I became friends with all those guys. And, and, uh, but that's really the only connection I had with them. No, no musical connection. Did you guys play shows with like Soundgarden or any of those bands? No, never. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, the when you guys signed to Maverick, you know the first the, the the album comes out far behind hits like crazy. Uh, the the single you hit really well. You know it's four times platinum. What was the trajectory for when that happened? I mean, was it a steady climb? Because I just remember when I saw you guys on MTV, it just seemed like you were everywhere all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Well, the record came out in July twentieth of nineteen ninety three, and by December of 1993 it was at 250,000 units by april of 94 it was at um uh, basically gold and by june of 94 one year after it's released it, it it was platinum so i don't think it was slow at all i mean our our touring habits were slow um you know we even though the record was selling we were you know we played in madison wisconsin to basically the club staff there was yeah. no one at the show you know um and the opening band i mean we had a lot of those shows uh, it really picked up for us when we went out with living color in the fall of 93 um which um i think in turn led to us going out with rush uh in the spring of 94 um and then you know that opened the doors to to us touring with metallica which you know you you go from 2,500 people a night to 20,000 people a night to 50,000 people a night, yeah. you know, all of a sudden everybody knows who you are. So, but it was, it was not, I, I don't think it was a slow pattern at all. It was, it was far too fast. I think for, for the four of us, um, I, you know, we weren't prepared for it. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's nothing that can really prepare you for that kind of success that quickly. Um, other than, you know, hopefully you've got good parents that can kind of, you know, talk you off the ledge sometimes or, or talk you down from the, the pedestal that you put yourself on. Um, uh, it, it, 
if I could have done it differently, I, I would, I would have slowed it down enormously. Um, but you know, I mean, it is what it is. That's, that's part of the, part of the, that whole explosion of rock and roll from 1990 to, you know, 1999. I mean, it was, bands were becoming, you know, stars overnight, yeah. uh, instantaneously, very much like the hair bands of the, of the eighties had. So, you know, were you guys like right away, like on a bus or were you guys doing the van thing at the beginning? We were in a van until, um, the rush dates. Um, um, that would have been, I think we got rid of the van. So we started in a van in April of 93 and we turned the van in. I think it was, well, we, we actually owned the van, but we stopped touring in it in, um, February of 94. So almost a year in a van. Can you, I mean, I remember my kind of first time on a bus and just thinking how cool it was. Do you remember like your first time actually getting on the bus and like finding your bunk? And like for, for me, it was kind of like, I made it, you know? Yeah. Was that how it was for you? Well, not the bus we got. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we, I remember walking on going, God, we don't have to drive and I'm actually going to get to sleep. Yeah. You know, um, that was the thing, you know, we, there were eight of us in a van. I don't know. Each band member needed to have their own fucking guitar tech, which I thought was so stupid. Yeah. Drum tech, you know. Plus you got to pay like, for that you, too, right? I was like, guys, there's four of us. You know, you only have two guitars, Pete. Barty, you have two basses. Can we just bring one tech? Nope, 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 nope. We got to have this, got to have that. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, got eight guys and we had a, we had a, um, a 12 bunk config tour bus. And, um, I think that was before the Anita bus companies were doing condo bunks. Um, and yeah, it was a piece of shit, but it was an Eagle and it rode like, you know it's the most comfortable bus i to this day i still think it's the it was the best ride uh a tour bus i've ever been on and i've you know now i'm renting these you know what are the, the xl2 threes that are you know eight hundred dollars a day or a thousand dollars a day yeah. or whatever you know and they still don't ride as good as that 93 eagle we had you know um but um yeah do remember i mean you know, you, you find your spot, you know, you, you know where the ashtrays are, you know, it was back when we were all smoking, you know, you had the, the nice big cooler in the front and always stocked full of beer. So I, I do remember it very well. Um, and I think it's why even now to this day, when I go out and I do these like eight show runs, uh, I get a bus, you know, I, yeah. I need the comforts of that, you know, um, it, it feels more like a band than, you know, flying in, staying in hotel rooms. Each one of us gets our own hotel room and playing the show next day. And then, you know, going back to the hotel room and, and crashing out. I, I really enjoy the camaraderie. Uh, and, and I mean, these, honestly, these, these guys that play with me now, these are my best friends, you know? Um, and I look forward to going out and playing shows with them and sitting up till three and four in the morning, listening to music, drinking whiskey, you know, yeah, yeah. that's, that's my thing. And, 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 and that's why, you know, ultimately outside of the fans, it's why I do it. I've always thought it was weird. Like I know that uh, Blink One Eighty Two, like each member of that band has their own bus. I mean, I know that their families come out with them, so that kind of makes sense. But I would, I would miss that like DIY feel of everyone being together, just like you just talked about. Like I think that has a lot to do with keeping a band together. Is just being friends, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's weird. I, I know a lot of bands that do that, and you know, I, I just find it really uncomfortable you know but i don't think you know i don't think those guys all have 
you know, the same kind of relationship. I mean, listen, you know, Blink-182, those guys have been banned, you know, forever many years now. And and the newest guy um, uh, from... um, Alkaline Trio. Uh, Alkaline Trio, who was one of my favorite bands. You know, maybe he's kind of like, I get my own bus now, killer, you know, but... um, (laughs) yeah. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm not a loner, man. You know, I, I love my friends and these guys are my brothers and, and I want to be around them um, as, as, as much as possible when I'm on the road. So speaking about, you know, keeping a band together and, you know, what we were just talking about, I know there was a lot of lineup changes throughout the 90s. Uh, was it just kind of lack of communication or just like butting heads? Like what was all the lineup changes all about? Well, we weren't really friends. Um, okay. We didn't know one another. Uh, I didn't know Pete, and I didn't know Barty. Um, Scott and I kind of knew one another, um, but you know, I think you know that issue with Scott and I was mainly because I was a drummer and he was a drummer, and you know, he thought this is my job. What are you going to tell me? You know how to do it? But um, I was writing the songs, and you know, I've got a specific way I need things to be done when I'm writing a song, and and um, you know, I don't think he understood that, but. You know, I think Scott's frustration was not really with the band. Um, I think he, uh, he, he, he's got these kind of, um, what do you call it? Obsessive compulsive disorder where he, you know, he, he, things had to be a specific way and the dressing room had to be set up a certain way and like his bunk and everything was laid out correctly. And, and it just became too much for him to bear touring that way, the way yeah. we were doing it, because it just, he couldn't be, um, that OCD was just too much for him to deal with. Um, and Pete and I was just because we didn't know one another. Um, and you know, when you're the singer of the band and and you're writing the songs and the guitar player is the guitar player writing with you. Um, some people can deal with that and some people can't, um, you know, insecurities are, are on both sides, mine and, and his as well. And, um, you know, it's, had we been friends growing up, we would have been able to talk about it and work, work our way through it. But we just didn't, you know? Um, and it got to the point where we were so angry with one another and so frustrated with one another. And plus he was, you know, he had a massive, um, drug and alcohol problem and he's sober now, uh, going on 15, 16 years. But, um, you know, back then there was no controlling it and, and it made it very difficult to be in a band with him. Um, and uh, Barty just, you know, he just got tired of touring. He's like, look, I'm, I'm going to be an attorney. I went to school to be an attorney. <laughs> I'm just going to do that. So Polar opposite, you know. extreme other career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I mean, that was why, you know, ultimately why the band kind of split up in 2000 was that we were so frustrated with one another, but we were also frustrated with the label. Uh, and we figured, well, let's just break up the band. We'll get out of the deal and we can yeah. all move on and do our own things. And, um, you know, it backfired. I was kept on as key man. So, that's you know, what, that's and, what I was and reading. I, I was reading an interview with you and it was like Maverick was like, okay, cool, but you're the original member. So we need a record. Yeah. Yeah. And they kept me there for two years and, and can, you know, continue to try to get me to make it an album under the band name. And, and, um, ultimately it was a partnership agreement. So they didn't own the, the rights to the name Pete and Barty and myself did. So, you know, it, it became very, very difficult. So you guys, you know, I, I was just going to ask you about that. So you broke up to get out of your contract. Now, uh, what were some of the repercussions from that? You said you owned the name, they wanted a record, but like, wasn't there something with royalties or something that happened? I, I can't remember exactly what I read. Yeah, I uh, when when they finally terminated me after two years, um, I in order to, to be able to go on and, and record for anybody else, 
um, whether it was with you know the name Candlebox or or an, an independent artist Kevin Martin, I had to agree to pay back the quarter advance of the fourth record, which was never made. Yeah. Uh, which the, that my quarter of that advance was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So wow. I had to pay that back out of my royalties. So it took from the year 2000 to 2013 before I got a royalty check. Jeez. So 13 years to pay that back for a record that was never made. And yeah. I never got the advance. Yeah. You know, I, I never, they never gave me $250,000, but that's, you know, that's the business. That's how they control, you know, that's how majors. And by the way, it's what's, you know, driven these majors into the toilet is, is that type of, you know, control of artists. And, um, you know, now I'm an independent and, and I'm much happier and, and, um, I make the records that I want to make when I want to make them. What what is like your process for writing? Like you were talking about how maybe there's some you know ego stuff going on with there's a guitarist and a singer together. What was your process in the band, like the early days of the band, and what's your process now? Well, in the early days, um, it was really if somebody had a riff, you know, we we jamming out at rehearsal. Um, Pete had a couple songs that he brought in um, when he joined the band, which were great, which was change. Um, uh, he calls home and cover me. Um, the first day Barty came to try out for the band, he brought in Far Behind and You. Um, as the band progressed, um, I took more of the um, songwriting approach of the band. Uh, I've I've always been the, the lyricist. I've written the lyrics and the melodies for everything from day one. Um, and most of the choruses, um, chord progressions, whatnot, were would have come from me based on uh, vocal melody. Now, um, everything I write is based on a rhythm. Uh, I'll come up with a, a, a drum beat or a rhythm pattern in, in my head that I want to work with. Uh, and then I'll, I'll hammer that out on a guitar in, in some sort of you know, chord progression, one way, shape, or another that I'm, I'm feeling at the time. Uh, and then I'll, I'll send that off to the guys and say, listen, this is a rough you know, scratch of, of what I'm trying to, um, to work on right now. And, and uh, give me something with it, you know, send something back to me. And, and that's how we write now. So it's, it's a little bit more collaborative, which I'm, I'm happy about because I, I like, you know, I like writing with these guys a lot and they're very creative. Uh, and of course having Dave Cruz on drums is, you know, is, is just a dream because he, he plays anything at, at, you know, you don't even have to, you know, tell him how to play it. He knows exactly where you're going with something, which I, you know, I love. Whereas, Scott was a lot more meticulous and a lot more of a mathematic drummer. Are you, are you doing any kind of like real demos, like using like an interface and a computer and doing like multiple no. tracks? You're just doing like voice memos or something? Or? I'll do a voice memo. Then I'll put that, um, I'll set that down next to me with my acoustic. Cause I know what I'm kind of like, I'll, I'll know where I want to go with it. Um, I'll have the rhythm in my mind, what the drum beat's going to be. And then I'll just knock that out on an acoustic and I'll sing into my phone that way. Okay. Uh, and then I send it off to the guys. So everything's really, it's really like old four track, you know, with like yeah. just an acoustic and vocal, but it's now my phone. So, um, I don't really, I never got into doing full demos. I just didn't like it. Yeah. Even back in the day with, you know, with Candlebox and we, when we were doing Lucy, the guys wanted to demo things up. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You're sucking the life out of the song. You know, if you just, if you go into the studio and you know where you're going, just go with it and see what happens. And, and that's how disappearing airports happened. I mean, those there were only four songs on the record that were, uh, in finished, uh, any way, shape or form finished. And that was, they were only done with acoustic and vocal. Yeah. Um, everything else were just little snippets of ideas and we produced them in the studio with Carson and Grant. Um, but we all jammed them out and, and it was amazing. You know, it was just like, this is how it's supposed to be. 
Now, I, there was something I remember from our first conversation, the disappearing in airports, that's actually tied into an artist that you like, correct? They also did the artwork for it? Yeah, Scott Rivers Fisher. Um, he's, uh, he's on the inside sleeve of the of the um, CD and the vinyl. He he made a painting. I asked him to do a painting for the record as the album cover, and um, he died, unfortunately. Uh, he had a massive coronary heart attack and, uh, uh, and, and died in the process, and he was young. He was only 42 years old. Wow. Um, so his sister sent this painting to me and said, listen, he, he kind of was feeling that this represented the album because I had sent him the songs and, um, she said, we'd be honored if you would use this as the album cover. So that's, uh, that was what he had t- entitled the painting was disappearing airports. That, that's cool, man. I, I, I'm trying to remember the cover, but I, I've seen it. It's been a long time. I did a lot more research before our first, our first conversation. <laughs> So uh, there is a couple more things I want to talk to you about. Now, the touring, you know, we said with Living Color, Henry Rollins, Metallica. Now, I am a huge Metallica fan. What was it like with those guys? Were they very welcoming? Because I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have been on the road with them, and they said that it's kind of like a family atmosphere with them. It really is. They were, they were super, super generous with their time and their crew. Um, very, very... Um, protective which was interesting I, I didn't expect them to be and, and of course you know they were still partying when we toured with them in 94 so pete had you know pete was in uh, like a pig and shit with them um but you know um it, it was really it was eye-opening man i mean it was like this this is how you play a show this is how you treat your fans this is you know this is this is what rock and roll can do and 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 this is why people love this band and they you know they never treated us poorly they never said anything negative about us um even on stage you know when they could have because you know allison chains um, pulled out because lane was in rehab and we were, you know, became direct direct support by default oh so you guys um, were like the openers on a three-band bill and then you became direct no support? no it was it was suicidal Candlebox, alice metallica oh okay okay and then when Alice pulled out, at the, and of course at the time when we took the tour, we were still we were moving 170,000 units a week. So, you know, they were like, they're selling some serious records, um, and they're moving some tickets. So, um, I think they knew that it was beneficial to them yeah. as well to have us out. Um, and we, you know, because like you said, we were all over MTV, and you know, there was a lot of attention on the band, and we had the number seven record on Billboard, and and you know, all these kinds of things. So, um, I think it was, you know by default but also you know i think they knew exactly what they were doing so did you guys know alice and chains very well i mean was there any kind of connection there since you guys yeah yeah we, the same area yeah we knew we knew uh, i knew lane very well and pete and jerry were friends um and of course they also rehearsed next to us at the music bank um uh back early on so like sean would come over and you know he'd get any drumsticks or anything like that you know i mean they were they were that kind of band um and and but we weren't you know like super great friends we yeah. just knew one another and if we were at a party or something like, hey how are you what's going on with the band sort of thing but um so i was actually really looking forward to to being on that tour with them um you know it's unfortunate that it didn't happen well so with do you have any stories from that tour like something that just kind of sticks out in your mind like because was that like the biggest tour you guys had done oh yeah yeah um i mean every night there, there's a story from every night i mean you know they're the, the end of tour party in Atlanta, which I can't go into. Um, <laughs> I had to sign an NDA for that. Um, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, those guys, listen, there's so many stories and, and we've heard them all and, and mine would be no different. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they had the curtains back 
you know, behind the stage, which each one of them had their own private dressing room with, you know, whatever they needed in there. You know, I mean, it was, it, it was decadence. It was rock and roll decadence at its, at its peak performance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it was insanity. And they were, they, you know, they were great guys, great musicians and, and really, truly, honestly, just generous human beings. How did their fans react to you guys? Because I mean, at that point they were doing, you know, I guess, was that like a black album tour or was that? That was the last tour of the black album. Yeah. Last album. So that had to be a huge, massive like stadium run. How were their fans? Cause you guys, you guys have heavy songs, but then you've also got some, you know, melodic kind of pretty songs. Some of those Metallica fans are kind of like Slayer fans. Like they don't like anyone unless it's Metallica. So was there ever like a feeling that maybe half the crowd got it, half the crowd didn't? Oh yeah. I'd say more like 90% of the crowd didn't. Okay. Um, but you know, I mean, listen, we were, we did our best, you know, we, we gave our best every single night and, um, you know, I mean, I, somebody threw a, a little fifth of Jack Daniels at me in Albuquerque and it split my head open and um, I didn't know it. I just kept singing and, you know, James pulled me off the side of the stage and wrapped my head in a towel. I mean, you know, that's, those are the types of things you remember about these guys, you know, um, their audience was, was, you know, ruthless. Um, but, you know, God bless them because they built that career, you know, and those are the yeah. kind of fans you want. You want fans that don't like your opening bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Because they're the ones that are buying every single t-shirt you, you know, you make. And, and, uh, and, and that's the, you know, that's the beauty of a Metallica fan. So I wanted to ask you about your song glowing soul. It was on the Waterboy soundtrack, which is one of my favorite comedies. I love Adam Sandler, <laughs> but, uh, I heard from what I was doing my research that Adam Sandler actually requested you guys put that on there. Like, is there a relationship with Adam Sandler or was there prior to that? Yeah, there was. Well, he, um, he actually requested can't give in to be on that. Um, the airhead soundtrack. I mean, he's, he's an interesting cat. We met him through guy, um, guy was here. He was our A&R guy. And, um, and he just was, uh, you know, I mean, a young kid who, loved music and and you know liked being around it and for some reason really liked us i don't know why um but yeah he's like listen i want you guys to do um do a song for the movie and and we were in chicago on a day off and popped into a billy corgan studio and, and tracked it there is uh you know like the band that i was in the ataris we had a couple songs on different soundtracks now if you don't want to talk about this you don't have to but is it kind of like a royalty based thing or is it a flat rate what was it for you guys on being on soundtracks and whatnot uh, well, geez, I think we were on like five or six. Um, it was always a, um, an upfront payment. And then, um, you know, your basic royalty rate, um, you know, based on your track on the record. Yeah. I, I know I still get, you know, royalties for, um, you know, soundtracks, you know, we've been on like, was it Foxfire or something that Angelina Jolie was in and you was in that. And it still streams because of how successful she is. And so I'll get a streaming, you know, check for that which is you know whatever 79 dollars or something like that but <laughs> yeah. yeah we 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 did get like for the water boy they paid us two hundred fifty thousand dollars for that song that's insane you man. know that's great yeah and it was supposed to be it was supposed to be the closing track um but they ended up going i don't know why they took tom sawyer but yeah i mean you know it, back then they paid a lot of money for soundtracks you know <laughs> i can't imagine somebody doing that now i mean especially with streaming that's something i want yeah. to ask you about now you know you know, you guys have a connection to Metallica. We've talked about the touring back when the whole Napster thing kind of hit. 
where did you stand as far as like with Lars and Dr. Dre or on the other side? What did you feel about the whole, you know, when the industry started to understand that the internet might be doing something against the industry? Um, I was, I was on the side of Lars. Uh, you know, I really felt like we, we get screwed enough as it is, you know, as an artist and, you know, I understand like mixtapes and stuff like, you know, I used to make tapes for my friends and give them to them. But you still had, if you loved the song, you still went out and got the record, you know? And, and, you know, I think everybody just saw that this kind of sense of entitlement with, you know, I mean, just, it so it was so evident. I mean, it was like, what's going to happen here? I mean, if, if this becomes as easy as putting gas in your car from a different gas station, you know, and, and, but you don't have to pay for it. I mean, it was, I, I don't even know if that's like a, a good analogy. It just seemed no, it's, like, it's a good analogy. I think about that all the time though. You know, yeah. like I go to this Arco station, is that gas just as good as what I'm getting at Shell? Because the Shell is $5, but the Arco is four. You know I mean? Yeah. I don't, you know, but that, that's the way I was thinking about it. It's like, is this really a good thing? Because I'm going to not make any money. You know, yeah. and of course, you know, it's like, you know, you reason seven dust and shine down and Candlebox and all these bands tour and stone temple pilots is because we aren't selling records anymore, yeah. you know? And, um, and this was, and the streaming, you know, that was the streaming the be- royalties are up like zero a, a penny. To, I mean, yeah. they're making yeah. all the money. I have friends, I won't name any band names, but I have friends in a band that had like 200 million streams and they got a check for wow. like $1,200. Two hundred million. God, that's enormous. Yeah, and they got like twelve hundred bucks. <laughs> wow. And I don't know if they just have a raw deal with Spotify and Apple Music, or if. But I mean, that's just what it is. But yeah. I mean, that's that's what they're paying. I mean, you know, you think about how radio used to pay. You know, when Ask Cap would collect those royalties, oh, yeah. like Nirvana, you know, Teen Spirit, that song generated for them in the first year, it was like million a million five just off of radio play. Yeah, you know, um, and that, and and to this day, I think it's still like one of the number one earning uh, songs from the '90s. But you know, you, that just doesn't happen anymore. And and I think so. I absolutely was on the side of of the artist and and uh, and, and Dre and Lars. I, you know, I mean, look, we didn't have uh, you know, at that point. Happy Pills was you know barely uh, you know two hundred fifty thousand units. I mean, our career was already declining anyways because you know there was so much more music coming out. But. Um, you know, it, it just seemed like, wow, what do we do now? Yeah. So uh, the original lineup got together for the 25-year reunion show. How was that? You guys played in Seattle, correct? Yeah, we did two nights at the Paramount in Seattle, yeah. Was that, uh, I mean, did you guys do a lot of rehearsals leading up to that? Because I know some of those guys you hadn't played with for a really long time. No, we did We did uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, no, Mon- Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, and then we played Saturday and Sunday, so we only did uh, three days worth of rehearsals. And uh, but you know, I mean, listen, we didn't really need to rehearse. I mean, yeah. it's kind of funny. It's uh, we had played those songs so many times, uh, the four of us. It was really more of a pleasure to just play together again. Uh, and I and I think about it now, like you know, I would do it again with the four of them in a heartbeat. You know, it really was a, a blast to do those shows and 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 play. Like the first night we played it from song one to song 12 and the second night we did it backwards from um, song 11 to song one and then we did a cover song um, which we used to do back in the 90s but um, what was yeah, the cover was, if you don't mind me asking 
a mountain song by James oh, oh awesome that's such a great song man that's awesome yeah that, that was our encore um but yeah i mean you know it was had if, if i'd had more time to plan it out i would have liked to have done something with the opening bands as well these you know green apple quick step and sweetwater were bands that we used to play with all the time in the 90s and so we had them open the shows um just to you know kind of go back to those early days of the band and um i would have liked to have done like some sort of you know encore jam with both bands but yeah. you know we didn't we didn't have time to really figure it out it really kind of came together last minute so i i used to play up in seattle all the time played all the a bunch of venues up there i just recently saw that uh the el corazon is actually going to be demolished did you guys ever play there yeah it was it was back in the day it was called um the off-ramp okay and i think it was called something else after that wasn't it like uh yeah, because I played there when it was something remember. else, and then I also played there when it was the Elcor Zone. But that's yeah, a, they changed it in the '90s to something. Well, that's you know that's like where Mookie Blaylock played the first show is yeah. Pearl Jam, and you know a lot of the early Alice in Chains stuff. That was where our um, showcase show for BMI was was at the off ramp there. Wow. So it was it, it had a great history. But listen, it needs to be torn down. Yeah. I mean that 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 <laughs> the whole last time I was there, it wasn't in. very. It was it was pretty ran down. It was kind of CBGB esque, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And not even as cool. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, I want to ask you, we're, we're, you know, winding this down. We've, I, I really appreciate you coming back, but what are some new bands that you're listening to? Can you like tell my listeners anything that you're into right now? Well, there's a band that, that, uh, I've signed to this label here in LA, uh, that I'm, I'm doing A&R for called, um, to whom it may, which I love. They're out of Galveston, Texas. They're kind of math rock, um, Mastodon meets mute math. um, I, I love um i'm really really into this um band ages that we've played some shows with they're okay. not new they've been around for a while but I, I i love them um i've been listening to a lot of kind of uh alternative um this band called washed out um yeah you know i'm, I'm all over the place man like Rock and roll, I don't really listen to a lot of it. I yeah. mean, the National is is you know my favorite band, but I you know I really like alternative music, man. Like it, it just kind of it, it it does something to me, and I think that's because of when I was a kid and I grew up listening to the Cars and and you know Gary Newman and and the Clash and stuff like that. I I've just never been like a Metallica, Iron Maiden, you know, kind of uh, dude, you know, if you will. Um, not you know listen they're great bands I, I you know when i finally decided to download all the iron maiden records it's like god i could have been listening to this when i was a kid um <laughs> yeah especially killers because i never had i never realized how punk rock that that's record such is, a but, punk record man yeah yeah that's awesome um but yeah you know i i, I just really i don't know man I, I i post these kind of playlists every now and then and that's that's really what i'm listening to okay <laughs> Well, speaking of, you know, how punk rock that Iron Maiden record was, I've been doing this thing on my show, Top 5 lists, and it's kind of a daunting task to think right off the top of your head, but I'd, I'd like to give you a Top 5 list, and right off the top of your head, tell me what your Top 5 is, okay? Okay. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit, and, you know, a lot of people that listen to Candlebox and, like, know the story, they might be surprised at how much you like punk rock. So off the top of your head, Top 5 punk bands. From any, any any era. Oh, SNFU, great, great choice. SNFU, yeah, the Germs, the Clash, um, Black Flag, 
minor threat. <laughs> there you go, man. That's an uh, that's an amazing list. I, I some of those are in my top five as well. Dude, you need to check out my Spotify punk rock playlist. So okay. if you go to can if you go to Candlebox on Spotify, and you pull up the punk rock playlist I did for Record Store Day in San Francisco. This is a funny story. So San Francisco, we were playing there two years ago with Disappearing Airports came out three years ago, whatever it was, and they wanted they wanted me to come DJ at the Amoeba Music up there. And um, we were playing Slims that night. I said, sure. So the guy's like, I heard you like punk rock. You know, can you send me your top 25 playlist and I'll pull the records? And I was like, you're not going to have them. He's like, uh, <laughs> we, he's like, well, we're San Francisco, you know, this and that. And I sent him my, my list and he called me. He goes, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, what? He goes, dude, I have two of these records. I said, I told <laughs> you, man, like if these are, I grew up on this stuff. This is really hard, fine stuff. So he actually let me create my playlist on Spotify and gave me three records to at the store to play, but the rest was played off my playlist, which wasn't really record store day. And uh, he's like, "Don't tell anybody." That's awesome. <laughs> do you do you collect a lot of vinyl? Do you have a lot of like old school punk stuff? I do. I have probably I don't know. I'd say all. I mean, total vinyl probably about a thousand pieces, but. With punk rock, I'd say probably close to 100, 150. Do you have like a most prized possession as far as punk rock goes for like a seven inch or like a 10 inch or anything? All the DK stuff, all the Dead Kennedys, every single record, even the imports that are colored vinyl. I have all those. I've been talking to East Bay Ray about coming on the show, so hopefully he's going to be on here at some point. (laughs) Badass, dude. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll tell you what, man. I've had a blast talking to you, and you bailed me out because I told so many people you're going to be on the show, and then just as a stupid technical issue, I lost the episode. I think this one was better anyway. <laughs> For me anyway, I feel like I wasn't such a dumbass. <laughs> uh, it's all good, dude. Anytime, man. Listen, it was, it was a pleasure chatting with you, and thanks for having me on. So uh, I, you told me you guys are going to go to Europe, and you've got all this stuff coming up in the, in the year. Do you have anything else coming up in the future you can tell me about? Just a new record. You know, I mean, uh, it's, I, I, I've said it a couple of times. It might be the last Candlebox record. I just don't know where life is leading me right now. Yeah. Um, I'm a little burned out with music. And uh, I, I said the other day, you know, under the guise of, of a little bit too much whiskey that, you know, I want to go out fighting, not walking. And, um, yeah. you know, so it might be, you know, the punkest record Candlebox has ever released, which I've got no problem with. So, That'd be you know, great, man. People, people are either going to like it or they're going to hate it. So uh, can you tell people your socials and for the band too, so they can check you out online? Yeah. Candleboxrocks.com, R-L-C-K-S, um, Instagram slash Candlebox, uh, Twitter slash Candlebox, uh, Facebook slash Candlebox. And, and if you write in there, um, you, I'm the one answering it. We don't have management do it. We do it all ourselves. That's awesome, man. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, much love to you and your family, and I hope everything keeps going well for you, and I will talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Hope to see you on the road soon. Yeah, talk to you later, man. Bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Kevin Martin from Candlebox. I had a wonderful time speaking to Kevin, and uh, when their new record comes out, we'll have him back on the show again for a third time, but only the second time that you will hear. So uh, I've been taking some precautions by uh, bouncing the the interviews down and saving them on a thumb drive just to make sure that I'm backed up. I'm not going to let that happen again. But thank you so much to Kevin for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. And actually, I was uh, I was doing some research here a little bit ago, and he was talking about you know when they toured with Metallica, and I I knew that I had seen Candlebox back in the day, and I knew that I saw them 
and it kind of got me into the band and I remember buying the record and I was looking through some old ticket stubs. Yes, I'm that guy. I have all my old ticket stubs and I saw Candlebox open up for Metallica at Deer Creek in Indianapolis, actually Noblesville, Indiana, back on July 2nd, 1994. So I actually went to that tour that he was talking about. I don't remember a lot about it because I've seen Metallica 16 times, but I do remember liking Candlebox enough to go buy the record. So uh, it was really cool. It's kind of doing this podcast is weird. Like I talk to people that I know, and then I get to talk to people that I don't really know. Like, you know, I've <laughs> getting to talk to Kevin from Candlebox. Who would have thought that if you would have gone back to 1994 when I was sitting there watching Candlebox open for Metallica and told 15 year old Chris that in 25 years, you're going to talk to Kevin Martin on a podcast. First thing I would have said is what the hell is a podcast? And then I would have asked you what kind of drugs you're on. But uh, it happened. It was cool. And Kevin's a great guy. And I can't wait to talk to him some more. So uh, thank you guys for checking out the podcast. This was a good one. They're all good. I have a blast. I have not had a bad one yet in my mind. Maybe you didn't like some of them, but I love all of them. So next week on the show... My buddy, Jacob Harrison, owner of Permanence Tattoo Gallery. It's a little bit different of an episode. I'm getting a tattoo while we have a discussion. And uh, Jacob's got a really cool story, so I think you guys are going to enjoy that. But I'm going to get out of here, but not before I play my favorite Candlebox song. It's a song called Cover Me. I don't think it was a single. It may have been one of their later singles, but... I'm not sure. It might not have been a single, but I really, really like the way Kevin sings it. I like the kind of the the drama in his voice when he hits the chorus, a lot of big high notes and uh, the guitar works really cool. And um, yeah, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So I'll see you next week with my buddy Jacob Harrison from Permanence Tattoo Gallery. And in the meantime, check out this awesome song by Candlebox. It's entitled Cover Me. Chris out.
End of intro to funeral speech. Good afternoon to everyone. I'm Kenny Powers. And if you're here, then you're someone Shane cared about, you're someone Shane loved. Or maybe you're just somebody who has no business being here at all, who's just here because you think it's going to make you more popular. Like Ivan. Everyone's wondering why you're here, because you didn't even know Shane. Don't worry about it, though. It's cool. No one's complaining. You know, Shane and I used to fuck around big time. We'd fucking party hard. We'd ride our vehicles around. Slay ass. We also watched a lot of cinema films together. We loved the movie Top Gun. And oftentimes we would joke with each other who was Goose and who was Tom Cruise. 
Well, now that Shane is dead, I guess we know who is Goose. Oh my God. Shane is Goose. Because in that motion picture, Goose dies. So Shane is, is dead, so he would be Goose. And that would make me Tom Cruise. I'm Tom Cruise, guys. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.